Thank you for coming this evening. Again, we can take us to the temperatures. We have realized we started with them good calls. We have adjustments with the response time and care. We have had them kind of manipulated. And thank you for that. Thank you for being with us. These things are clear resources that you have given to us to clarify. Thank you also for those scholars and teachers. Tonight, may your awakening to spirit remind you to steward of God. In its fullness, in its purity, in its Blessing that he needs leaves here. Uh, we wouldn't have leaves quite like this in Pennsylvania. Of course, the colors change there, but we don't live in an area quite like this. And so, uh, what a blessing it is to be here with you. We read in Jesus' name once again. Tonight, we want to look at the book of Amos. We're going to through the book of Amos so you can turn there a while. And then we want to uh, make the transition after we look at the culture of ancient Israel. We want to look at the culture in our, in our home. Uh, so, uh, perhaps you're here tonight, not with a home, not with young children, or um, single person, or a uh, young person, but we can walk, evaluate tonight the culture in, in our life. In our life, just a little bit of home. Here we think of our home again this evening, as we did last evening. The book of Amos, Amos was, a, was a farmer, turned to a prophet, as the Lord inspired him, and as he shares through the book of through this nine chapter book, in chapter one, he shares judgment on various surrounding nations around Israel. And then midway through chapter two, starting at verse six, from there throughout the rest of the book, he pretty much is hearing his uh indictments and his, his uh, prophecies against ancient Israel. He lived in the south, it appears, maybe uh, some miles below Jerusalem, he was prophesying to the nation of Israel. And I just briefly like to make a survey here, and through this we get an understanding of the culture in Israel. You know what culture is? Culture is, uh, well, you can have Latino culture, you can have Amish culture, you can have Western culture, Eastern culture, Arab culture, Muslim culture. Many, many different cultures. We have a culture here at this church, um, as the third Anabaptist people. And uh, cultures can be, can be good, they can be bad, or they can be out Things that uh, you know create create help shape up culture. Whether we choose to have spicy food or people like pies, pies, or you know that's not necessarily good or bad. It's just the nature of the culture. Uh, culture is made up of the food we eat, the way we celebrate our holidays, the clothing we wear, the language that we speak, whether we're hospitable or whether we're individualistic or family-oriented. All of these things help to make up culture. So let's look here and start to see a picture culture that they had and then we want to see was this a biblically based culture or was it a culture that God was not happy with so chapter 2 of Amos I'm just going to briefly look through several verses here chapter 2 verse 6 uh, 
transgressions of Israel, and from four I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they sold the righteous for silver, and the poor for a pair of shoes. Uh, interesting language there. And basically saying that in Israel they oppress the poor. And there's other verses that uh, are mirror that here throughout the book. We also find a place, let's turn to chapter 3, verse 15. We also see that Israel was a place of a lot of ease and comfort. Uh, look at chapter 3, 15. And I will smite the winter house with the summer house, and the houses of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall have men, saith the Lord. So these people have, uh, you know, they have plenty, multiple places, houses of ivory. Ivory is a, uh, you know, that would be to be familiar with what ivory is. Instead of having a house of ivory, their house that has some decoration of ivory is a very well-to-do place. These people are living in ease and in comfort. They're selfish. They're not giving much time and attention to the poor. Uh, it's a place of immorality. Chapter 2, verse 7. Back in the just a little bit. Partway uh, through the verse, a man and his father were going under the king. It's a place of immorality. Not much is mentioned in the book about that, but I assume that was occurring. Uh, how about the religion? Look at chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Come to Bethel and transgress. At Gilgal, multiply transgressions. Now, where were Bethel and Gilgal? Places that should have been places of worship of the Lord, Jehovah God. Bethel was a place way back in Genesis where Jacob met the Lord. Gilgal was a place back in chapter 5 where the people had reinstated the, uh, the sign of circumcision uh, after they had another for a while. These places that great religious that are worship of Jehovah God, and instead they have turned into places of, of idolism. Uh, they have departed from the Lord. Well, how did God respond to these people? Uh, what had God done for them? Look at what God tells them through his prophets in uh, chapter 5, verse 14. Chapter 5, verse 14. God doesn't leave them hanging as to what should we do about this. God gives them some things to do. Seek good and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, shall be with you as you have spoken. He hate the evil and love the good, and establish judgment in the gate. It may be that the Lord, God of hosts, will be gracious on the remnant of Joseph. And then God begins to tell in various places throughout the book what he had done for them in the past. He reminds them, back to chapter 2, verse 10. Looking around here, I realize. Here's a picture of what was the culture like in Israel. Is this a place where God is honored or a place where he is dishonored? Chapter 3, verse 10, God says to them, Also, I brought you up from the land of Egypt and led you 40 years to the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorites. And I raised up your sons for prophets and of your young men for Nazarites. Is it not even thus that you children of Israel saying the Lord? So God has done many things for them. He brought them out Places in scripture says they left them like a bride. He really cared for them. He's going to show the people. And he says that here for us, he raised up their sons to be Nazarites. We can only know about three Nazarites that occurred in scripture. A Nazarite is one who, from their, from their youth, from the womb, they were dedicated to the Lord. And they were not to cut their hair, they were not to pick up limestone grape. Uh, they were dedicated to the Lord. And uh, so, how did Israel respond? God had done all these wonderful things for them in the past. Let's keep reading in chapter 2, verse uh, 
carries, right? Or you'd like to cook your food, you want to have it just as strong when it's service or not. And there's many different things about cultures that vary from home to home. But at the end of the day, uh, does the culture in my home, you know, they differ from your home and so forth, does it, is it a biblical culture? Is it a culture in our home? Is it the way we, the, the priorities that we have and the things that are listed on the paper that's been handed out to you tonight? Are they part of a biblical culture? Do they come from us following the Lord or is it from something else? Amos and the, uh, speaking to the Israelites, uh, the Israelites were measured and they were found wanting. And God would say to Amos, he would say this in chapter 8, verse 11. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land. Not a famine of bread, nor thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. I've never been really in a famine for bread or thirst for water. I'm sure I've been thirsty during the moment, but never a famine where we wonder where the next meal is coming from. That we would be in that type of setting, that would be a very uh, difficult thing. It would be very undesirable to not be knowing where our next meal is coming from. But how much worse it is to be in a famine where people are longing to hear a word of the Lord, longing for truth, but they have no idea where to find it. It's only truth. And God says to Amos that such a day was coming for Israel. They would want to hear the words of the Lord, but they would be in famine of hearing Tonight, can we look, uh, ask God to open our eyes, and can we look at the culture and evaluate the culture in our homes? We're only 60 years a little bit here, and uh, let's still go back to Amos a little bit from time to time. It wants to be that if God would raise up a plumb line, and if His word would be used to measure the culture in our home, what would, what would it find? Would we find that uh, it does match up? Or would we find that there's things we do in our home that really don't line up? Extra rule on your paper if you want to take any notes or just some things that the Lord raised to your mind as we as we go throughout the evening. But um, this topics that uh, that are close to my heart here, and I think we all understand that no one I'm speaking at a church sometimes you know, afterwards someone told me that no one's really qualified to speak about parenting. And uh, that's about true, right? Uh, because we all uh, realize we see our shortcomings and we all Realize that only God knows the future and what will become of us, especially children that will grow up. But nevertheless, we want to get back to God's word and what God's word is. Why is one line and more than one line to measure what our children are going Let's start here with uh, turning around perhaps different places. Let's turn to Colossians 3 uh, 18 and 19. There really are not a lot of references in the New Testament about. Uh, and wives and how they should relate to each other. Uh, Ephesians 5 is a book. Uh, let's look to Colossians 3, 18 and 19. It says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as it is fit in the Lord. Colossians 3, 19. Husbands, love your wives, and be not bitter against them. The first question that I want to look at as we, as we ponder this biblical uh, culture in our home, and that is, um, are dad and mom pulling together as we think about our home? Are we pulling together? There will always be differences. We know that. We had a nice 
time here for supper, or Lester and Crystal and their family, and we were talking some of the backgrounds, uh, even if we grew up in the same church, and uh, we grew up in the same church, but even if my family grew up in the same church, and we all knew each other, uh, every family is a different culture, there's differences to work through. There will always be differences to work through. Um, probably, I assume, until, until the day we die. But are we trying to pull together? Are we trying to pull together? Uh, when Dad and Mom are working together and when the differences are talked about by the and love and security are It's the foundation for these children's life. Another question I want to think about not only are parents united, and, and again, there's always going to be a lot of difference, as we think about that mom's relationship, our parents mature. What I mean by that is uh, they're probably older times when we respond in ways that we realize we're not Christ-like, leading back to apologize. But are we growing in responding in mature ways to one another and to the children? Remember last time we talked about Ahab? Uh, Ahab was the king of Israel, but he was not very mature, emotionally mature. And that's why he went home and he didn't get what he wanted. He laid on the bed. And that's 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 what you would expect your six-year-old to do, right? That's not what we expect when we're 40 years old or even 25 years old, trying to lead a family. So our parents mature. We think about sometimes maybe I'm sitting at a, a, a very blessed parent church, but well, I think about it too much at a church meeting. But it could be a church meeting or a school meeting or whatever it is. Maybe we're discussing some hard issues, and there's kind of some. Some not attention, but there's some real passion about what's being discussed. So when those adults can they talk about it maturely? And everyone there talks about it as adults in the room. And of course in the home, where it's most likely that we have a guard down in the home more than anywhere else. We relate in mature ways. Our parents, us as parents, are we the adults in the room? You know, there are acceptable ways to talk about differences and there's unacceptable. It's not acceptable to yell at each other as parents. That's just not the agreement. Uh, we think Jesus, uh, you know, he spoke very firmly to the, to the Pharisees, right? And you think he yelled at his disciples when things didn't quite go what he wanted? But you can imagine him doing that. Um, my wife was talking with some, with her sister, not her, uh, sisters of Lord, I should say, and uh, they were discussing marriage, and there was an older wife there and a younger wife there, my wife. And they were talking, and one of the older he said to the young woman, yeah, she said, all marriages, they yell at each other. And if someone tells you that they don't, well, they're not that immature. My wife kind of knows me what to say. That's not mature. It's not the way of Jesus, and it's not okay. And I started talking about telling the truth to say, why don't you just say it's not the way of Father roles, mom and dad. We just read there with Colossians, lives are to be submissive to loving. Submission is a difficult word, perhaps. We get tired of hearing about it. Um, really, marriage, according to Ephesians 5, marriage relationship is a picture of Christ in the church. And so, man is supposed to be representing Christ in the relationship, and the wife is supposed to be representing the church. 
and as the church is subject to Christ, so the wife should be her husband. But the husband is also supposed to be the savior of the body. You know, that means that he's supposed to do the hard things. And uh, Jesus died for the church, right? That means he gave all. And so there's going to be some times where there needs to be death to self in the husband's life in order to carry out the work of the wife. Jesus loves her. This idea of three proper roles, there's a whole back where it says that the woman took of the fruit and um, gave unto her husband, who was with her, right? And so Adam, why aren't you speaking up? Adam, why aren't you intervening here in this situation before your wife takes the fruit? Apparently he was there, he did nothing about it. And then when God approaches Adam, notice that God did not approach Eve, he came to Adam. He said, well, Eve took the fruit. Well, Adam is the one who's now responsible in the situation, as the husband is in everything. And, uh, God and Adam resorts, as we talked about last night, to Three proper roles. Passivity in men and aggression in women is a common marriage scene that's all too often reflected even in our Baptist Brothers at times can be very good business leaders, maybe good church leaders, and at times fail in the home. Come home, work, retire, just let somebody else take over. This week we had brothers meeting us. Kind of Bible study we have once a month. Uh, brother was back there at home, and a uh, brother there was talking about entropy. You know what entro uh, entropy or entropy? Uh, the second law of thermodynamics. Is that right? Is it the second law? Uh, one of the laws. Okay. And it says basically that everything's going to tend towards disorganization. Things without energy input are going to tend towards chaos. And that's why we can't build uh, perpetual motion machines, right? Because you always got it somewhere along the line, you got to input energy. Sometimes businesses, sometimes churches, sometimes families are just in coast mode, right? And Dad has been putting energy into this business all day, been putting energy into whatever it is all day long, and he comes home, and family's in chaos mode, and he just kind of lets it go, right? Because he doesn't have any more energy to put into the situation. Well, that's no excuse. Uh, it's been a real journey in our marriage relationship for me uh, to begin to realize that, um, I should not be leaning on my wife, but I should be strong and she should lean on me. And I'd say, brothers, I challenge all of us to that tonight. Uh, I think that our, our wife, the wife is given to you as a helpmeet, and that is a helpmeet in many areas of life, certainly. And so she's an encouragement to you, I trust, but uh, she's not, your wife is not your conscience. Uh, your wife is not someone that you uh, you lean on and you come home from church business meetings, you say, what do you think? And then you end up doing all one relationship, honor what she thinks, uh, honor what she's saying, but don't think of, well, I lean on my wife, think about what she leans on me. You know, we grow up to be adults, it's God's will, we're not like King David, who says, for me, I can't have any lost finger. No rather, uh, we learn to grow up and make our own decisions, and we shouldn't leave our wife to say, well, don't you think it's kind of late, we should go to sleep tonight? Don't you think that it's time to get a little more rest? And don't you think uh, it's okay? That's the way your wife wants to encourage you. But ultimately, brothers, it's us who are called to lead. And good leadership means that we're able to make a decision by the power of the Holy Spirit, which is them. So if everything in life we need is going to take energy, of course, the wives aren't off the hook. You're involved in lots of situations that take tons of energy. If everything takes energy input in order to run well, as God designed, we're called to move into chaos and bring where are we going to get that energy? Well, we're going to get our energy from our connection with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where the energy is going to come from. Live the way God's calling us to live. 
So I know we're spending a lot of time on this first circle there on your, your diagram there, but uh, are we united in America? And before I'm trying to be a shopper of tools, if we're doing this, it's going to carry over to the church, church leadership. In Acts 1 8, Jesus told the disciples, He said, You're going to be with us unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts. Start Jerusalem. We're going to start right at home. We're going to spread out from there. So, home, your local community, right here at home, is the training ground for further ministry. We're told one of the qualifications for bishops and ministers, uh, elders, you might say, 1 Timothy 3 5. Children coming in in subjection as all gravity. I don't know if that, that's, that's a whole other topic of every child being ordered, but I think what it's saying here is that the starting place for ministry is at home. That's just how it should be. The starting place for ministry is not my business, it's not how well I can preach or not preach or anything or any of that. The starting place is my home. So, um, the second thing I'd like to think about is not only uh, was this carried over to the church. But uh, dad, dad and mom's relationship, of course, it goes without saying. We just want to talk a little bit about how it carries over to the how it carries over to the children. And uh, you know, some homes, some very difficult and uh, unhealthy things develop. Mom and dad are struggling to get along, and so dad starts connecting with one of the children more than he does with mom. And so uh, maybe nothing uh, really uh, inappropriate has happened. He'll be up late talking to his 15-year-old daughter about all oh, this business decision or that decision. I'm not sure what to do. And, and uh, just creates a lot of confusion lies in the children. Um, these things are, there's, there's some serious things that can go really wrong. Remember um, Isaac and Rebecca? Just this week we were talking about them in, uh, in Old Testament classes. We spent two days this week talking about them. Quite a fascinating family they have Isaac and Rebecca. And what favoritism. And so Isaac liked Esau. He liked hunting. Esau was a hunter. And uh, Rebecca loved, loved Jacob. And uh, Jacob liked to stay around in the tents. Read through the story, you find Jacob is not a man who's very emotionally mature. He's very deceitful. He likes to get his own way. And when he doesn't, uh, you know, he knows how to connive. He worked deals. And these men, had, he, he didn't quite grow up until finally he wrestled with an angel and met the woman. That's what we all need to do spoke about last evening. So, uh, just want to say that in these proper roles, you know, that we said husband is supposed to represent Jesus in the marriage relationship. So, husband, do you ever uh, find yourself kind of overwhelmed and in your prayer life, you come to the Lord and you kind of get sore about it? You ever do that? And maybe you find it even sore again tomorrow night, right? Did Jesus ever I don't know you would either. But does he ever say to you, okay, that's enough. We talked about this two days now. You can just stop talking about this, you know? Um, and so the same way, you get the idea. Sometimes, brothers, your wife's just going to need to talk, and uh, we've got loads of them, but I'll have enough emotional stability and margin and maturity to just take that and emotion, the direction and love and support. Um, because that's what Jesus does for me. That's what I should do for my wife. First Peter three seven points out that our prayers are greater if we want the honor and be alike. In some homes, mom pits the children against dad, dad pits the children against mom, and things can go really back and forth. 
problems in that work. Secondly, the next circle in your diagram is do we have the hearts of our children? What does this mean? Well, do my children know that their heart is their heart turned towards me? There will always be mistakes that happen. There will always be times when we need to go back to my wife, we need to go back to my children. Okay, sorry. You know what? Those words I said brought shame to you. That's not something I want to do. So please forgive me. Uh, and there'll be times when we need to ask forgiveness. But a brother back home has shared this, a brother much older than me, his children are all raised, and he said, have hearts of your children, you can make many mistakes. If you don't have the hearts of your children, you can do everything try to do in this right and still make it work out. So do our children know that we really love them and our hearts long to be connected to the Father? I don't have to tell you I believe that uh, if we're trying to work on the family situation with our children. Dad is just being stubborn or whatever man is doing and making life difficult for the whole family. So all the old ones find the father. We do not have a good relationship with his family. And so we see the importance of having the hearts of our children. This is really important. If we don't have the hearts of our children, somebody else or something else will. We mentioned last evening our children connect with someone and will it be us? One of the brothers back home, he's about eight years older than me, and uh, many children three days ago. Things that work in your home. You know, culture is a barrier, isn't it? Biblical culture. It's going to leave you lots of envy, lots of pride, lots of communication. Uh, one older sister from church, grandmother from church, mentioned that he noticed sometimes when she was raising her children, sometimes they would be, uh, maybe it was an afternoon, or maybe they'd be tired, they'd be acting up. And she realized that while she could discipline them, you know, sometimes children would spank and be Sometimes she realized, you know what? I'm really busy today. Them and then she's back from work and her children immediately You know, we haven't had any of that. But uh, can we see uh, underneath the surface of what's happening at times in our children's lives? So, our parents are trying to work together on the two we seek to have hearts of our children. Number three, how about, uh, how about analyzing the atmosphere of love in the home? This is another circle in the diagram. Sometimes I see children that are acting out, and I wonder sometimes, does this child feel loved? Uh, when I teach school, and I'm the students that are in the students that are uh, just kind of acting up, you might say, and kind of have a reputation among their fellow classmates, and you have to wonder, does this child feel uh, at home? Uh, sometimes you know that they probably Children should never be called brats. Last evening we talked about A little bit when Jesus finds a wayward sheep, what does he do to that sheep? Does he rip it out of the briar patch, chew it out good, or tell them that he got him up late at night and he's been out of work for a day? What were you thinking? And drag it home? That's of course not what Jesus would do. But carry it home and load it into the prayer. So, how do we learn to discipline in our home? Uh, do our children know that they're loved? Or do they feel like a bottle? Uh, 
children are sensitive to emotions at a very early age, and uh, even before they're born, children are sensitive to whether or not they are wanted. Uh, Ted Tripp wrote a book, Shattering a Child's Heart, and he says many people have children, they're not wanted to be children. Child's love for all children. Next one, the third circle there is um, the favorite of priority. Uh, perhaps, is there misplaced priorities in our home? Um, I don't know how things are in New York, I imagine you have the same human nature the rest of us do. And there are all kinds of things that you can involve yourself in, and you can be involved in every kind of So we have misplaced priorities. Are we strapped financially because of materialistic mindset? Well, I think I need to be running my children here and there and here and there because I don't want them to miss anything. So I have a child focused on instead of a God focused on. Uh, how much time is spent on social media? Checking my stocks and the list goes on. Perhaps it would be better. In fact, I'm sure it would be better to spend mother less time blogging and more time in the book school. Children spend time focusing, especially in the early years, on focusing on their children. I think again, Tetris mentions that many a parent has had a little child that they were too busy to listen to. And then later they had a 14 year old. Consistent and clear. 
we can hardly for consistency, and discipline. We know that as school teachers, uh, as school teachers, um, and, and, and expectations are not clear all the time. Um, things things uh, just don't go so well. So that can go one day and not the next day, and one person and then not another person. Consistent and clear discipline that's very, uh, very pretty narrow. Discipline that's pretty narrow when children are young, and then as they get older. We relax the discipline. So you tell your three-year-old, you know, would you want corn or do you want beans tonight? And then when your child comes out of steps and with gets beans tonight, you're not wearing that shirt tonight. Well, now, wait a minute, don't go backwards here. How about when you're eating corn tonight? And then when you're 15, you're your final So you get the idea that it's strict at first and then it relaxes as the children They need to have some conversations when they're 14 and 15 as well, of course. Get the idea. And force consequences. Uh, I have a somewhat easy going personality, so that's, uh, that's something that I, I can just really follow. And that's possible. I'm going to follow through, especially in the school district. You learn that pretty quick. So, consequences. Have daily schedules. Um, you know, I have to keep it to the most part. You might say more discipline than not having to keep it. Maybe every day. Uh, and yet, um, not always, and I don't say that privately, but what I'm saying is that discipline and a daily schedule and a normal wake up time, and when you come home from school, you do this, and after summer, you do this, and before bed, you do this. You know, those kinds of things, uh, they, they should be part of our culture, and it's biblical to be orderly and to be consistent. Uh, if nobody really knows what's expected, then anything goes. And that's not in order for a we're a happy business. So, we don't have to say more than once. I think we all understand that in the larger culture, discipline and consistency and order and respect are being lost. I was talking to a brother this afternoon, he was nine years old, and he was telling me just the other week how when he was going to school, public school in the 50s and 60s, you know, a young man entered the room and he just moved to his house the year. And, uh, National anthem was sung, we stand there respectfully or whatever. Uh, I know we don't get appreciated with the street because of all that, but he's making the point that there's a lot of respect that's been lost over the years. Does it really matter if you have one before you enter the house? Not really. I think we understand that. Maybe, maybe that's a preference thing. And yet, that's just an example of how uh, we've come to a place in society where we can Yeah, we can. We do have the privilege of teaching our children that there is uh, authority here. And we're going to submit to the authority, even if we don't agree with it. We're going to respect one another. And that brings us to the next point. Are our children learning that there's authority? And we learn to submit to that authority, even if they don't understand, even if they think it's wrong. Um, I remember reading in Pablo Yoder's one of his books, uh, I'm wrong on Pablo Yoder, easy people, I guess, right? How could you not know him? And uh, so, uh, I guess he's not doing so well, is he, health-wise? But he wrote quite a number of uh, books, and he reads some of our children. And um, in that book, he was he was talking about uh, authority and how that that uh, was disciplining him when he was just a little boy, and a uh, school teacher was was uh, disciplining not not wisely. He was not doing well in his discipline. He was disciplining harshly. I think it was a language that he then. And yet, the problem was when they got home from school. If they got a look at school, they got home. Now I'm not advocating for the children. Hope you understand that. 
Um, and uh, I think, um, I'm not saying necessarily you need to have that rule in your home, but what I'm using that as an illustration to point out that there's an authority in life. And if maybe we don't agree with the authority, but we're still going to respect the authority. Maybe we need to get spanked a little bit more than what's cool, but it does mean you're allowed to talk bad about your teacher. It does mean that you're not going to, uh, we're not going to go in to the schoolroom and have a meeting with your teacher and talk about how the teacher did it all wrong. And you're assigned too much homework, and we're not going to do that. Um, so authority, um, we don't need to be loving and kind. Sometimes authority is ruling harshly, but we still need to learn that. We need to submit to authority, and that is a wonderful gift. Some of you are businessmen. If you're having around some of your employees who lose their job because they just didn't respect authority, they thought they could come to work five minutes late every day, and it really didn't matter. They finally need to lose their job. But for a child to learn early in life that there's an authority that they need to listen to, that is a gift that's going to serve them well, and it's going to serve the people around them in their community for the rest of their life. Again, we understand that there are many pitfalls of authority, many times in authority. Not what we're talking about here. So, moving on then, uh, I'd like to think about this a little bit principles versus policies. Um, years ago, when I, when I was in school, there was a book in our, in our book school, one actually in several conferences that I recall, and it was called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Anybody ever read I Kiss Dating Goodbye? Well, this book, I guess, dating goodbye. I really and my wife is my this way. Basically, it took various figures and this morning, this is the way you date, and when you're done dating, you're gonna have this much marriage, and this is this is how you do it. Some years ago, Josh resigned from his positions or whatever he was doing, and, and basically they didn't really know if he was planning to be or to leave or what happened. Well, I don't really know what happened with his life. But I think we need to be careful about having too many policies. That in our home, you have to do it like this, or like this, or like this, or like this. You got to dress exactly this way, and uh, you got to do it exactly like this. And if you're not, you're not measuring up, you're not doing right. Uh, you know, let's be careful. Cookie cutter patterns, but everybody does it like, like this. Uh, it would be better Brother Frank Reed speaks a lot uh, to our church, and he has said already, he makes the families that are the most uh, well-adjusted in which factors are involved in his counseling work with brain injuries. The families that are the most well-adjusted are the families that operate on the principles rather than the policies. And there's no shortcut. There is there. There's no shortcut where if we just do it like this and do it like this, the children are going to turn out like this. And tonight we're trying to give some general principles. Obviously, we can't be make your day before breakfast. Um, we try to enforce that, things like that. There's policies, of course, but there's no surefire way to guarantee that our children are going to grow up just like this and like this and like that. So let's be careful for that rule to keep, but seem to operate by biblical and personal principles. Sometimes we look, well, this is something. I'm willing, uh, the project that I'm working on, and uh, I was, I was uh, I'm not sure if I was money or if I was standing at the time. And I just realized, you know what, 
I'm really missing a key ingredient. I know I have done plenty of this, so I know which trowel I want to use here. I know how much blood I should have, what the consistency of the mud should be, and how I have to pay for them, make sure there's no air bubbles. I'm not an expert. I know all these things, but I'm that if I wouldn't have it, I was probably going to have another one. But what I was missing was the work life. Not working in the rain. Yeah. 
why every time I find the cow outside the fence, I can maybe the bar and lock it up there for three days so I can beat it. Uh, you know, maybe I don't think that would really help with the cows. Um, but uh, it wouldn't help, right? So I'd have these different options that I think I could do. Or I can realize that, you know what, leaving this big cow And Thank you for your kind attention. I guess I'll see you brothers tomorrow morning. Uh,